Hi, I'm Sarah Thomas, and you are listening to an Open Water Swimmers podcast. Welcome to episode 12 of an Open Water Swimmers podcast. My name is William Ellis, and thank you for joining me. This is the final episode of season one, and I'm incredibly grateful for all of your messages of support and all the lovely reviews you have been leaving on Apple Podcasts. So I am incredibly grateful to everyone who has listened so far. Thank you. Today's guest is a bit of a hero of mine. I'll be honest, I was a little weak-kneed when interviewing her, as her achievements are simply superhuman. She has completed so many ultramarathon swims, among which are becoming the first person to complete a 56-hour swim across Lake Powell in 2016. She's a Triple Crown swimmer, Double Lake Tahoe swimmer, Double Lake Mefremagog swimmer. I hope I'm saying that right. She also holds the record for the longest unassisted swim, the 168.3-kilometre swim on Lake Champlain in 67 hours and 16 minutes. I mean, it's just staggering. It was shortly after completing this swim in late 2017, however, that she was diagnosed with an aggressive form of breast cancer. However, not to be deterred from her long-term goal, she recovered and in 2019 became the first and only person to have completed a four-way crossing of the English Channel in 54 hours. Wow. Her achievements are awesome. And shortly after recording this podcast, during a pandemic, she swam the Kaiwi Channel from Moloko to Oahu in Hawaii, a relatively short distance for her of 45 kilometers in 12 and a half hours. <laughs> it was such a privilege to be able to share this chat with you. Please welcome the wonderful Sarah Thomas. Sarah Thomas. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your morning to uh, to speak to me. I say that because it's it's five o'clock, very dark, very grey, snowing, overcast here in in London. So thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me. Yeah, you are very welcome. It is morning here, but it is also grey and overcast and snowing here as well. So maybe a different time of day, but it's similar situation. <laughs> that makes me feel a lot better knowing that we have a shared a shared weather system if 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 that's if that's a thing. So Sarah, I know for you're not familiar with the format, which is perfect. So None of these answers will have been pre-prepared, not that, not, that, not that you need to, someone of your caliber. So I'm going to ask you the same six questions that I've asked all my guests, and uh, I can't wait to hear your response. Please go off on any tangent you like, and we will, we will just have a chat. So my first question to you, Sarah Thomas, is why do you swim? Now, obviously, this is an open water swimmers podcast, so not everyone starts in the open water. So it, it might be... Why did you take up swimming? Why do you continue to swim? And what is it about the water that keeps you coming back for these very, very, very long, amazing swims? Yeah, that is a loaded question. Um, <laughs> oh, there's so many reasons why I swim. Um, the running joke in my family is that my mom signed me up for a swim lesson about the same time that I was learning to walk. She was very pregnant with my little sister. And she wanted to cool off in the heat. And so she and I did parent talk 
taught swim lessons when I was still, you know, pretty young, about the age of one. And I think from there, they just couldn't keep me out of the water. And some of my very earliest memories are of being in swimming pools in the summertime. And I think I have a really early memory. I was probably two or three and my mom was like exhausted from playing in the pool with me. And she told me to just hang on the wall with my arm floaties on and um, just practice my kicking. And so I did for just like an hour, just stayed on the wall, hung onto the wall and practiced my kicking. And, you know, I don't know, it's just been a love since I was really, really young. Um, I do remember the summer that I was six doing swim lessons, like formal swim lessons with an instructor. And the summer league swim team was coming in to practice after my lesson was over and just all summer long begging my dad, like, can I be on the swim team? Can I be on the swim team? I really want to be on the swim team. And he he told me, he said, if you do good in your swim lessons, we'll let you we'll let you be on the swim team next summer. So even as like a small child, I was really motivated to be on the swim team and he held true to his promise. He let me be on the swim team when I was seven. And by the time I was 10, my mom asked me if I wanted to do it year round rather than just in the summer. And I was like, yeah, that's like the greatest thing in the whole world. So (laughs) since I was 10, I was swimming year round and I just stuck with it because I, I don't know. I just love being in the water and I swam through university. Right. And so, you know, by the time I was like 21 or so, I was like, yeah, I'm probably done swimming. And then I discovered open water swimming and that was it. You know, um, I did my first open water race when I was 25 and I was hooked. You know, I was like, this is it. This is what I was supposed to be doing. This is my lifelong passion is open water swimming. Um, so yeah, that was in 2007 and here we are. Um, I don't think I, I don't think I quit after that first 10 K. No, God, no, absolutely. So a lot of, a lot of people talk about the, the, they use the open water specifically, and obviously the huge amount of training we all do in the pool as, uh, a space to let go and a space to be at peace is, is that something you, you can relate to? Yes. <laughs> For sure. Um, I'm definitely an introvert by nature and my job is it feels like all of my jobs have been jobs that require me to talk to people all day long or, you know, to kind of extrovert myself and being in the pool and in the open water, particularly is that time for me to just relax and to decompress mm. where I don't have to speak to a single person if I don't want to. Yeah. Um, I do my best problem solving on a really long open water training swim um, because yeah, it is that peace and calmness that you need in life. And I don't necessarily get it, um, outside of water time. Yeah. Um, that's, that's I think something everyone, everyone can relate to the idea of just processing, processing. I mean, this is, this is for someone, uh, of like you who has done a 67 hour swim. That's a lot of processing. <laughs> There's so much to process. In for <laughs> it. <laughs> um, you know, I will say in some of the, like those really longer swims, you do go to a, a space where it's just really quiet and you're not processing, you're not thinking all you're doing is swimming. And, you know, the rhythm of your arm strokes and your breathing is really more like meditation than processing. And that is my favorite place to be in a swim because then the hours just go by like nothing. Um, that was going to of- be my next question, actually, that, that, do you feel a difference in say a 10 hour swim 
to a 67 hour swim in purely in terms of time. I mean, my very, very meager and limited experience of marathon swimming compared to someone like you is that is that time sort of goes by in, in a in a flash, no matter what distance you're swimming. And obviously, the, the times and the distances you're swimming vastly supersede anything myself and the vast majority of listeners will will have probably swam. So is that idea of time just passing by quickly? Does that still happen? Yeah, it definitely still happens. Um, I remember my very first 10K, you know, it took, I don't know, two hours and 45 minutes or something like that and getting out and thinking, oh man, that went by really fast. And I said the same thing after my 67 hour swim. I was like, whoa, that went by really fast. Um, so, you know, there are moments in the longer swims where you're like, oh my gosh, is this ever going to be over? Like, I'm so done. But at the end of it, it really is like, oh man, that was, that was nothing. <laughs> no, physically it hurts. Don't, don't get me wrong. Like it's not, <laughs> but from a mental standpoint, it definitely, um, it, it, it's weird how time can just stand still and mm. you're just in a moment and it does not matter if it's a 10k or a hundred miles, mm. you know, it's those moments still go by in the blink of an eye. Yeah. Gosh, that's astonishing. I, I remember that. Well, I remember, I remember that picture of you on, uh, on Shakespeare beach after your incredible quadruple being passed a glass of champagne thinking to myself, do you know, that's probably the last thing in the world she wants. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I'm not really a drinker anyway. Um, and so it's not captured, I don't think, very well on like videos and images, but someone handed me the M&Ms and then they handed me champagne. So I'm sitting there just like shoveling the M&Ms into my mouth and then they <laughs> hand me champagne and like my mouth is sore from the salt water and my throat is sore from the like and swollen from the salt water. So I take this sip of champagne with like every intention of swallowing it and it hit like the back of my throat and then I just spit it everywhere so then i'm like sitting on the beach with like champagne and m&ms like <laughs> dripping down my legs <laughs> like this is really gross <laughs> so i know it was a it's a great moment you know and the picture of me holding the champagne glass is perfect um, mm. but the after effect of that was not good I guess your taste buds were so attuned to Maxim or, or, or whatever it might be you were drinking. I can't imagine. I can't imagine how that must have tasted. Bless you. Gosh. Um, did while we're, while we're on the channel, did completing that unique, amazing swim uh, feel any different to you than completing your 67 hour swim? Just to put that in perspective for, for, for the listeners, your English channel was a, was a, a momentous 54 hours and 10 minutes. And then, your Lake Champlain, by contrast, was was sixty seven hours and sixteen minutes. You know, that's that's another thirteen hours. You know, that's another, you know, in swimming terms, that's another forty fifty k or something. I mean, it's 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 an astonishing uh, increase. So, did did the channel feel any different? Um, let's see here. It, I mean, it's so hard to compare. I suppose. Every swim that you do from, you know, any distance is, has a, an entirely different personality to it, um, entirely different challenges that come up. So, you know, physically, 
when I was finished with Lake Champlain after 67 hours, that was like a max, you know, like I could not have continued swimming much longer at the end of that swim, Mm -hmm. you know, it was a 67 hour swim, but when you add up like how many hours I'd been awake, you know, we were, you're talking about three days of being awake basically. And I'm not sure that I can stay awake much longer than that. And so, you know, physically Lake Champlain completely 100% maxed out you know that was you know i i'm not sure that i even desire to try to swim longer than that so in contrast english channel it was so much more mental um there was just the currents and the tides and the salt water and i was sick for a lot of it you know the challenge for the english channel was just mostly in my head of we've got this, you know, my boat captain Eddie is understanding the tides. He's going to get me in and we're going to finish, you know, so there was all, there was all of that going on in the channel. So the two swims very hard in very different ways. Um, so I'm not sure that they compare at all. <laughs> Both well, really hard. We, we had the same boat captain. We did a, a, a double relay and all Eddie okay. would talk about was in the month after our double relay was was were you coming out the crew were so excited because this was I think this was their perhaps their only double crossing and so they were using it as a as a kind of tester Mm -hmm. for 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 your for your whopper if you like so it was it was we're all I remember being completely just dumbstruck that someone would even would even consider it and then to hear how well you just smashed it I remember saying to the people I did that double relay with she's still swimming She's still swimming. I mean, I can barely stay awake for 14 hours, let alone someone like you who can stay awake for so much longer. How, how do you train for the sleep deprivation uh, in and of itself? Or do, you, or do you not? Do you just swim and, and sort of put the two of them together? Yeah, you know, um, so my very first like really long multi-day uh, swim was in Lake Powell in 2016. Um, and that swim was 56 hours, I believe. So 80 miles, 56 hours. And that was my first one where I knew I was going to have to swim through a couple of nights. And I was terrified about it, like straight on, like terrified because you read the stories about people hallucinating or just like randomly falling asleep. And you're thinking like, I'm in the water. Like, how is it going to play out if I start hallucinating when I'm in the water or if I just randomly fall asleep in the middle of the second night. And I was straight on terrified about it. So I had all these grandiose plans that summer of uh, like working all day on a Friday and staying up all day Friday night and then trying to go do like a long training swim on a Saturday morning. And just with my like work life training, I just couldn't do it. You know, it was just like if I I wanted to survive the training I had to sleep that summer. And so, you know, I talked to some like people who train Navy SEALs and you know, they have what's called their hell week and they stay awake for, you know, most of the week. And so, and then I start reading about ultra runners and ultra runners that stay awake for super long running races. And then, you know, talking to a couple of friends who are surgeons and work in the operating room and how surgeons can stay awake for a long time. So kind of wrapping my brain around the idea that people can and do stay awake. And so it's not completely outside of the realm of possibilities to stay awake for, you know, 54 hours or so. Um, 
and that was really the only training that I did for it. And, you know, jumping into Lake Powell, I look at the pictures of me and that was probably the most terrified start of any swim I've ever done because I had no idea what to expect from something that long. And I really kind of almost put myself in a really terrible mental place the first night because I was so petrified of night number two. And so that was a really hard lesson to learn about just you know, staying calm, not thinking too far in advance and setting yourself up for success for night two, because night two is hard. Um, and, you know, I came through Lake Powell without really any major issues. I didn't hallucinate. I wasn't falling asleep. And so that experience really gave me the confidence. So when I stepped into Lake Champlain, I wasn't worried about it. Like I knew the swim was going to be longer. I knew it was going to take, you know, 65 to 72 hours, I think is what I had predicted ahead of Lake Champlain, but I just didn't, it didn't even concern me. Um, I do have some stuff that has a little bit of caffeine in it. I'm not really a caffeine drinker to begin with. And so just like a tiny amount of caffeine really perks me up. And so we usually start you know, adding in a little bit of caffeine around hour 30 or so when I know I'm going to go really long. <laughs> um, and so, yeah. And then just from there, like, it's like, okay, you know, every other feed has some caffeine in it. Okay. Well now every feed needs to have some caffeine in it. And it really just, it perks me up, but I will confess, um, and this is a tangent, sorry, but um, the last night of Lake Champlain, you know, it's the, it's now the third night um, and it's approaching, you know, somewhere like midnight ish and we're getting really close. Right. And I know I'm really close and I'm swimming really slow. Um, but the lake has just like calmed down. I had, you know, like a day of like rough waves and wind, you know, it started off, you know, at my back and then it was in my face, you know, for like 24 hours, you know, I'm just battling these elements. And then we get to, you know, the last couple of hours and it's just flat, it's dead calm, the stars are out and I'm like sleep deprived and on caffeine. And as I mentioned earlier, I don't really drink and I'm stopping at my feeds and I'm telling my crew like, the lake is so beautiful. <laughs> it's giving me a gift. <laughs> and you know, everyone's just like, Sarah, shut up. You have to keep swimming. Um, I do think my husband at one point said, okay, enough of that. Keep going <laughs> because we're almost there. Right. And I'm here just talking about the beauty of the night and the lake and her gifts that she's giving me. Like I'm an insane drunk person <laughs> in the middle of a swim. <laughs> I, I, that's a, that's brilliant. I think on, on although yes we can look at that rationally and say you you know the, the the insane you know someone's looking at you thinking she's she's going a bit mad but is there there is a there is a wonderful beauty of that that even even then when you're sleep deprived you're 60 that you know the water maybe was was kind of speaking to you and as much as as much as it's a it's a silly concept i think i think that's is there something subconsciously where you think maybe maybe the water was speaking to me maybe like this 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 was my moment and that actually is what is what pushed me through i do you know i i think i said it in my ramblings to my crew and in the moment was like this lake threw everything she had at me yeah. to make me not finish this swim and i kept going and now she's letting me pass if you will you know it's you know, we talk about that all the time in channel swimming, right? It's not always what the swimmer is capable of. You can put a fabulous swimmer in the English channel and they get rough and terrible conditions in the middle of the channel and there's nothing you can do. You have to get out. Mm. Uh, 
you know, and it's the same, I mean, that's my biggest fear in any swim that I've ever done is that the weather conditions might change and it will force me to have to quit, even if I'm totally fine. Mm. And I really felt in Lake Champlain that that lake gave me everything. It rained, it was windy, you know, it was, we had a little bit of everything in that swim. And it, when I say windy, it was windy. Um, And the waves were huge. I was like body surfing at some point from the waves, you know, it was, there was intense moments in that swim. And then finally at the end, there was this just piece of like, okay, we did it. You fought, you deserve this, you know, take it and enjoy this, you know, these last couple of hours. And she, she allowed you to finish. I like that. Yeah. That's beautiful. And the, I mean, this is, this is obviously a burning, a burning part of your story for me is your longest swim came just before your, your, your terrible diagnosis of, of breast cancer and uh, reading the reading up on, on you, which I, which I did, I, I, you know, you swam as it says you swam as much as possible through your surgery, your chemotherapy and your radiotherapy. I mean, that, that in, in and of itself is extraordinary. Well, when you're faced with something that you have no control over, Mm. um, swimming is the one thing that I had control over. Mm. And, you know, as we were talking about earlier, you know, I really do find peace in the water. Mm. And so I'm in the middle of all this like awful, terrible stuff. And the water was one place I could go, you know, I could put on my swim cap, put on my goggles, my swimsuit, and still look and feel just like Sarah, Mm. you know, and it was, you know, the water is a place where I do have a lot of identity. And so swimming through it all probably saved me um, in a lot of ways from a lot of anxiety and depression Mm. and hopelessness. You know, I was able, you know, to swim eh, probably three or four days a week during chemo, you know, and I always went, my third, my chemo was always on a Thursday morning. And so like, I never missed a Thursday morning swim because I knew that was the best I was going to feel all week. And I had to go and get it in, you know, Um, and it wasn't about training. You know, some people are like, man, I can't believe you're training. You just need to rest. Um, And so it had nothing to do with, you know, wanting to train up or stay in shape or anything like that. And everything to do with just wanting to feel good for a minute. So, you know, my workouts were not intense, you know, hard sessions by any means, but I was still in there moving my arms and just doing something that I love. And that just, it, it helped me more than I think any of us really realized at the time, especially. A lot of people who I've spoken to talk about the water being the, the most wonderful healer. And I, I guess that is that is in some way something that you are you are connecting to it in in that way as well. How lovely! Well, I think we're all we're all so pleased for you that uh, you are where you are um, with with your you know in remission, um, and long may that continue. And of course, your you know post uh, post being given the all clear. Of course, that's when you decided to do your quadruple channel. How much of um, I don't know I don't know I don't know how to to best phrase this. I suppose, but how much how much inspiration did you take through getting something so extraordinary um, as, as being a cancer survivor? Did that in some way motivate your, your, your four-way channel? Was there, was there a driving force behind it? I think there has to be, you know what I mean? I don't think you go through um, what I did and not come out of it without, you know, a certain extra level of motivation. Mm. Um, Just kind of for timeline sake, um, So I finished Lake Powell in October of 2016. 
and it, we drove to Lake Powell. And so on the drive home, my husband kind of looked at, over at me and said, so are you thinking about a hundred miles yet? And I kind of looked over at him and I was like, yeah, <laughs> I really am. And so, you know, it was just a couple of months later that I started planning Lake Champlain. And at the same time that I was planning Lake Champlain, I was talking to Eddie about the four way. So when I was in the middle of Lake Champlain, I already knew that I had that English channel swim coming up and all through my treatment for cancer, we knew that that English channel four way was on the horizon. And I do think having that as a, like a long-term big goal helped me get through a lot of my cancer treatment because it wasn't just about surviving until tomorrow. It was about, I've got this big thing and what are we doing right now to make sure that I can do this? Uh, the timeline was close. My, several of my doctors were like, I don't know, Sarah, <laughs> you know, a year after all your treatment finishes, you still have your expander in, we don't know. Um, you know, and you, you talk to them and they obviously have never had someone like me walk in their door who says, Hey, you know, when I'm done with this, am I still going to be able to swim 80 miles in a row? You know, they don't know the answers to that, you know, and they don't even know how to comprehend that. And so you're talking to them throughout your treatment and they just don't know, you know, they can't tell you how you're going to be able to swim or not. And that was, you know, one of the most terrifying things through all my treatment was, is cancer going to take away my swimming? And, you know, I have said before, like, oh, I could give up swimming. Um, it's not who I am. You know, there's so much more to me than just water. But if I learned anything from going through cancer treatment is that like the water is part of me and I have to be in it um, in some way or else I don't feel like a complete person in a way. Um, and so, you know, being terrified throughout treatment that that was going to be taken from me in some way is, was not a good feeling. So, yeah. you know, that was a huge driving force to make sure that that wasn't taken from me. And my doctors are great. You know, they worked with me. We made some concessions. We took considerations, you know, they were fabulous in helping me to get there, but they did think I was a little nuts. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it, it makes, it makes your four way even more extraordinary uh, in, in so many ways, you know, the swim in and of itself is, is astonishing, but to have gone through what you went through and come out the other side and, and, and still do it. I mean, I, I am, I am in awe. It's, it's jaw dropping. So many, many congratulations again, if that, <laughs> from, you know, from, from someone like me, in fact, I went this, this, I went with the podcast, but you won't remember at the, at the channel, at the channel ball, uh, you had a long line of people waiting to shake your hand of which of which I was one and I just shook your hand and I just said I'm afraid I don't know what to say to you except except congratulations and you know because it, it, I, you know knowing the little bit of your story which I did then I was just like that's just that's mad that's brilliant it's just it's inspiring on so many levels fantastic that was the, that was I think that's the longest answer to question one that we've that we've had so far <laughs> which which is perfect which is perfect so Sarah question two is what are your what are your earliest memories then of swimming in the in the open water you mentioned that your first open water race was in 2007 and i was was that your first experience of the open water or is there is there a memory that goes a bit further back yeah so my grandparents had a small cabin on a lake in oklahoma and we spent a lot of time there as kids so you know a lot of my early memories are around being in the lake. 
um, there's videos of me at the age of two, they're pulling me on like a, a little like mini boogie board for lack of a better word behind the boat, right? You know, we're going like one mile an hour and, um, you know, and someone's kind of like paddling along next to me, but, you know, I have been in open water almost as long as I can really remember. Um, once they got me into swim team, things got worse because then I'm like begging to like swim to the other side of the lake. You know, there was this like no wake buoy, you know, maybe 500 meters out from the dock. And, you know, I'm like six years old. I'm like, I want to swim to the buoy. Can I swim to the buoy? Um, and no one wanted to go with me, right? Because it was kind of far for people who aren't really swimmers. And, you know, it's probably, it took a couple of years before I convinced someone to go out to the buoy with me. Um, you know, and I just remember like getting out there and touching it and thinking, oh my gosh. I did it. You know, I'm like the greatest swimmer of all times. Um, you know, so, you know, clearly from a young age, I have wanted to swim across large bodies of water. Um, so who knows where that comes from, but it's definitely, yeah. definitely in me somewhere. I love that. Almost like your first comparative marathon swim, something out to that boy. So let me ask you this then. This is question three. What does open water swimming mean to you now? And, and how has it changed from all those early memories you talk about at your grandparents' lake, or even from that very first open water race you did at the age of 25? That might be a more kind of pragmatic uh, mm -hmm. sort of route to take it from then until now. And and yeah, how, is, how has it shifted and changed? That's interesting. You know, I think from my very first 10K, um, you know, there was a pre-race meeting where all the swimmers were in the same room and you know, I'm sitting there and I'm like really nervous about this distance, right? You know, yeah, I've swum 10K in the pool before, you know, as a competitive swimmer, but like the idea of swimming that long without stopping is still like mind blowing to me, you know, to think that you could swim that far without like stopping at the wall or standing up, you know, still kind of terrifying to me. And I'm in this room with all these swimmers and the race directors, you know, how people stand up if it's your first 10K, you know, so, you know, all of us newbies stood up and we're like looking around, like we're real nervous. And then they had people who stand up who had swum longer than a 10 K. And then they had people stand up who had done, you know, like a 20 K and then people who had swum something like the English channel were standing. And I remember just looking around in awe of like, oh my gosh, I'm in the room with people who have swum the English channel, you know, and it was mind blowing to me that people could even do that. Uh, and that people did it. And now I'm like in the same room and I'm going to share the water with these people. Um, and so my, and, but then all these people are nice, you know, they're real human beings. They're answering questions. They're talking. They're not these like snooty Olympic athletes, not that Olympic athletes are snooty, you know, but you know, they didn't have those <laughs> gigantic egos that you, you might expect from someone who has swum the English channel. Right. And I was struck even then just about the sense of community that open water swimming has. Um, I've never really been into triathlon, but I know a few triathletes and they talk a lot about the triathlete community and how it's maybe not as warm and as welcoming as the open water swimming community. And, you know, I think if you're asking what is open water swimming to me, it is about the water. You know, obviously I love the water. I have a deep connection to the water, but it's also about community and the people that are involved in it. And I don't think I've seen a whole lot of that change from 2007 until now. I still think it's a great community. 
it's clearly grown significantly. Um, you know, I was looking up the other day and I remember why, but um, the number of people who have done a triple crown. And I think I was number like 59 or something like that in 2012 when I finished my first English Channel Crossing. Mm. And now the list just since 2012, there's like 250 people on the list. And so, you know, it's a growing and expanding community, but I think that's kind of fun in a lot of ways because there's different ideas and different challenges and different experiences, you know, and the variety of people that are doing it is phenomenal. You know, I just, I don't know. I love the open water swimming community and I don't think you could have open water swimming and I don't think I would be as stuck in it if it wasn't for all the people who do it and that I can share experiences with. Mm, definitely definitely i think that's something we will all we will all agree with is uh it, it, i think that's very unfair by the way of your first 10k swim for the race organizers to ask people to stand up and and segregate people like that it puts an awful lot of pressure on on people swimming for the first time i, I mean as you know i thought it was inspiring to like because you're sitting in a room and you're like oh my gosh is this even possible then all of a sudden there's people who have done the english channel and yeah. i thought it i for me, it struck me as really um, just motivational and yeah. fun and interesting. If they hadn't done that, my life might have been really different because it would have been a lot longer before I knew I was in the presence of English Channel swimmers. Yes. I mean, it, it inspiring. It, yes. But also terrifying. You know, if I was swimming, if I was swimming in the water with, you know, the, the, at, that, at that time with kind of icons of the swimming world at that time, it's all relative, isn't it? So. You might talk, you talked on earlier about the fear you had at, at Lake Powell. My my next question, obviously, will will sort of may, maybe address that if if that indeed was the only moment you've been scared. But open water swimming has always had a degree of fear factor for me. No, no matter no matter where I am, no matter what swim I'm doing, there's always there's always uh, you know someone in my head speaking to me about you know what I should be doing, how fast I should be swimming, and I guess that's why it's so addictive. I've had very a little bit of experience with swimming at night, and I found that terrifying. But to what extent do you identify with that idea that there is always an element of fear, and is there is there a, is there a, a, another story uh, outside of Lake Powell, or even talk about Lake Powell some more that that comes to mind that you can identify with that idea? It's a good question. I'm trying to think about the answer to that. <laughs> um, just in general, in life, I try not to let fear control me in any way, right? You know, we all have doubts and insecurities. And I think that's probably where most of my fear comes from. Don't necessarily have like a ton of fear of sharks or swimming at night. Um, most of my fears are much more personal and internalized than that. And so it's kind of hard to describe that in some respects, because, you know, obviously when you start off a swim, you know, Catalina was my very first channel swim. So I went from 10 Ks to Catalina and I had never swum at nights. Right. And so, you know, jumping off the back of the boat, you know, to swim, you know, the hundred yards to shore or whatever, um, in the middle of the night is slightly terrifying but I don't even really remember being terrified in that moment. Uh, I remember being excited and a little nauseous from the boat ride over and concerned about the distance, but the actual fear of, oh, there might actually be sharks in this water. Or what if I run into a jellyfish or, you know, what if the boat loses sight of me? None of those fears were really present because those are things I feel like you can't necessarily control, right? You're making a choice to jump off the boat in the middle of the night 
and what happens is going to happen. And you kind of have to suspend disbelief, I guess, that anything negative could happen in those moments. Um, You know, I, at the beginning of Lake Powell, definitely terrified about the aspect of staying awake for two nights, Um, not believing in myself or having the confidence in myself that I could manage that, you know, and that's a, you know, two nights in a row is pretty big ask. Mm -hmm. So, you know, my fears are definitely more around my ability. Um, but I honestly, you know, jumping into Lake Champlain, there was no fear. Like I knew I was going to finish that swim and unless lightning came and struck us all dead, then (laughs) that swim would be complete, you know? So, and even jumping into the English channel, I was really calm, you know, just I had done the work, I'd done the training. I knew the only thing that would deter us was weather and tides. And that wasn't my control. Eddie had to handle that. And I trusted Eddie mm-hmm. and, you know, it's, so it's kind of hard for, I, I don't know, to talk about fear in some ways, because you seem very, you, well, you seem very <laughs> rational. You seem, you seem very rational, I guess, in a way that a lot of, a lot of people aren't in any in any sport or or you know any sport where there's risk and a a lot of British guests I've had on here have all mentioned you know Steven Spielberg and Jaws which is a totally irrational fear but you seem totally rational and very honest with yourself as you say I've done the training there's nothing that will there's nothing that can stop me doing this and the same with with Lake Champlain you know when you jumped in you knew you were going to finish and of and of course you did which is still, uh, is still, is it still the, the, I think it's still the longest unassisted swim in on, on record. I mean, I just, it's, it's, it's mind boggling for a mere mortal like me. It really is. In that respect, if you are totally rational, why did Lake Powell then get to you? You know, I think it was lack of experience, right? Um, prior to Lake Powell, my longest swim was 50 miles and I did, it took 20, it took 30 hours, I think. So I'd been in the water 30 hours for 50 miles and jumping up another whole nother marathon swim. Right. I, I didn't know, like, you know, there's not many people you can ask, like, how do you train for this? Uh, how do you train for staying awake? So there was so many unknowns in that swim that, you know, you can't prepare for, um, you know, when you're training for even a 50 mile swim, you know, an English channel, there's a lot of resources out there, people you can reach out to, you can ask questions to, you know, there's, a, there's just a larger community. And when you start getting over about 50 miles, there's not so many people you can ask. And, <laughs> you know, so I'm about to jump in for, you know, an 80 mile swim, another 30 miles, you know, that's a long, long way. It really is. It really is. Totally terrifying because I had no idea if I had prepared enough. I had no idea if I was going to be able to stay awake, you know, yeah. who, who knows. Um, and obviously I did. And that gave me that extra confidence. So going into Lake Champlain, going into the English channel, I knew I had done the training. I knew I had done the work, you know, my English channel training plan. I just matched what I did for Lake Champlain. Mm. I was like, if this worked for Champlain, it's going to work for the English channel. So yeah. you know, you, once you do more and more, you get that confidence. And I did not have that in Lake Powell for sure. Yeah. I, would it be fair to say that, I mean, being physically fit to do to you know to to achieve that sort of distance is one thing, but but the obviously mentally is a whole whole different ball game. 
and marathon swimmers often talk about it's not actually you're not actually you're never really training the body that that will always come it's it's just about training the mind yeah i've tried to over you know have time to think sometimes i've tried to come up with what i think the percentage is um on the breakdown between physically being able to do something mentally being able to do something and then just run of the mill good luck um, with the weather cooperating um, and i honestly think the good luck part of it is the top component to being able to complete a marathon swim. Um, so if I had to rank them, definitely the biggest chunk goes for straight up good luck and then mental is next. And then physical is probably the third yeah. factor in being able to complete it. And that's a much smaller percentage, I think, than some people would like to believe. Yeah, I guess, I guess you're right. And obviously, I think obviously recovery is so important from that, from a mental perspective as well, because if you, if you recover well, then you're able to you know in some way you can surmount the next swim speaking of that how how was your recovery from you know say Lancashire Lake Champlain or or or, or the channel I mean how long did it take before you were before you were back in the water yeah it um it takes some time <laughs> I'm not gonna lie um Lake Powell recovery was probably the worst of the three um I was fairly beat up um from that one you know in in all of them you know back in the water fairly quickly because I do think moving helps you. Um, so, you know, just, you know, probably a few days off total of like no swimming at all, but like actually to be able to swim and train, you know, it takes months. Um, I did, so Lake Champlain was in August and I did um, swim the suck, which is a river race in Tennessee. And it's like 11 miles, I think. Um, and I did that in October and I could still feel, you know, from August to October that I wasn't 100% recovered, you know, from most people probably wouldn't be able to tell the difference, but like, I could still feel it in my arms and my shoulders. So, you know, it takes a few months to like come back for a minute for sure. Yeah. Gosh. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a whole, it's a whole other, other realm. I mean, people talk about marathon swimming as being anything over 10 K, but you know, a, a 10k comparatively for the distances you've swam is 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 a mere is a mere drop in the ocean. Wow. Um, someone once said to me, uh, this is my penultimate question. Someone once said to me, always remember that the water wants you, which I've always found a useful mantra when when things aren't going well. But if you could if you could use like uh, if you could be omnipotent and create like the perfect swim for you i don't know if you've ever seen star trek where they have a they have a holodeck where you can create any environment anywhere or it can be fictitious you know is that is that possible to create an environment for you where it's just it's the it's the perfect dreamlike swim hmm. that's a good question you know honestly if i had to think of the most perfect swim i would place it in lake powell uh, that swim just from a visual standpoint um, the water was pretty, there's like these gigantic canyons, you know, it's like swimming through the Grand Canyon, basically, you know, with these beautiful rock formations, um, maybe it wouldn't need to be quite so long, <laughs> you know, <laughs> desire for like multiple day swims is not super high, but you know, a nice, beautiful 12 hour swim with like clear water and beautiful canyons around you and fish swimming around, you know, it'd be fun to put some tropical fish in yeah. an freshwater lake you know if we're creating <laughs> make sure we're like kicking out the jellyfish and the snakes and the sharks yeah, yeah, yeah. that's it so that's it. 
that would be it. We do. Would it be at night with that, with that sense of the stars and the and the calm and that just general thinking that the lake's speaking to you again? I definitely think there's a piece of that. You know, in Lake Powell, the very first night, um, it was so clear and you could see shooting stars. Oh, wow. um, you know, even through my like fogged up goggles, you know, I could still see the Milky Way. You know, and it was just like this amazing experience in you know in that moment. And then I do love a good sunrise, you know, when you've been swimming all night and the sun starts to come up, you know, just that beauty of, you know, going from darkness into light is very uplifting. And so, yeah. you know, if you had to time and swim, I would time it, you know, started at like four in the morning so that you can swim into the sunrise and, you know, see the stars, but also, you know, get the beauty of, you know, the light shining on the rocks and the water sparkling. And yeah, that's just and and just the one sunrise, Sarah, rather than rather than two, perhaps. One is great. <laughs> I don't need more than one. I'm really happy with one. Um, it's, you should start to get a little grumpy with number two and three. <laughs> I just I just can't fathom it. I mean, uh, the longer uh, my longest swim is, you know, is is just over seven hours, and you know that that nearly broke me. But I just can't fathom. It's it's it is staggering what what you've what you and what you've achieved. So. Yeah, I, I, I take my hat off to you. I really do. Um, so my last question, and you may be able to answer this very simply, having seen all your, all your wonderful sets that you post on Instagram. Where was your last swim and how was it? Mm, my last just swim. Yeah. Um, last night in the swimming pool. <laughs> um, it was, I did um, back-to-back 10Ks on Saturday and Sunday. And so last night was a recovery of sorts. Um, the pool I'm in right now is really hot and it's like bleaching and frying my eyebrows and my arm hair. Um, so last night was kind of a much needed lower intensity, yeah. <laughs> enjoyable swim. So how nice. And when was, when was your last open water swim? Think about that. Probably we get, we get kicked out of the lakes here. Um, so I think, October 31st, Halloween was the last time I was in open water. Nice, nice. And uh, what's, what, what, what sort of temperature are you, are, you, are you allowed to swim down to before they close the lakes? Um, it's based off of date, which is dumb. So the end of the season is, and I, this is very complicated, but um, basically you have to get a permit to swim. Um, in years past, it's always been like May 1st to the end of September. And then um, I've been getting a permit for my group for the last couple of years. And I've gotten us to April 1st and October 31st, which the park rangers think that we're absolutely crazy. Um, <laughs> but it wasn't too bad. It was, I'm trying to think, it was under 50, which I don't know in Celsius, sorry. <laughs> but I think, Fahrenheit. Yeah, that's, that, I mean, it's, it's, that's, that's, that's pretty chilly, I think. Uh, yeah, that's pretty it was, chilly. It was under 10, under 10 C yeah. for sure. Yeah. And that's, I guess, were you using that lake? Were you allowed to use that lake for your ice mile that you that you, that you smashed? Um, no, we had to use a different lake <laughs> um, because that lake doesn't let us in. Um, they required insurance. I don't know if you want to put this in, but they require insurance in order for you to um, swim in it. And so the insurance to do an ice mile in that particular lake was going to cost somewhere um, of $10,000. <laughs> God, whole other realm. I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, a warmish open water yeah. swimmer. So the idea of swimming an ice mile is, uh, is astonishing. Yeah. Sarah, that was 
absolutely beautiful thank you so much for such a lovely chat of course you're very welcome if you're ever back in the uk we will we will be sure to we will be sure to have to look you up and uh, and come and cheer you on on whatever whatever endeavor you're next doing i should be um hopefully covid allowing um i'm crewing for somebody in september on his english channel crossing so i should be back um, in september i hope and not having to worry about a swim of my own and being able to just enjoy the sitting on a boat experience. Wow. Is, is he doing a single or double or triple? Yep. Single. And what, a, what an amazing coach to have. And what a different experience you'll have. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very excited about it. It's so. going to be, it's going to be great. Oh, Sarah, thank you so much again. Uh, what a, what a wonderful chat. Thank you. <sighs> what an inspiring woman. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you so much. Now, I hope you'll all agree with me that this was a wonderful way to end the first season. We are definitely, definitely finishing it with a bang. You know, I kept having to pick my jaw up off the floor, literally, when I was speaking to her. I mean, a remarkable woman. Right, that is the end of season one. And on that note, the podcast is looking for a sponsor for season two. You know, I started this journey as I simply thought it would be a fun and interesting thing to do. However, the response has far exceeded my expectations. Although season two is cooking, I have interviewed several guests so far, it is becoming a little more than a fun way to pass the time. All thanks to the incredible uptake the podcast has had due to all of you guys listening. So thank you to everyone. So if anyone is listening, that can point a sponsor or two in my direction, that would be hugely helpful going forward. I hope to be back at some point. In fact, I'll say that again. I will be back at some point. Please do remember to leave a rating on Apple Podcasts if you have enjoyed the show so far. And I thank you all from the bottom of my heart for listening and turning this into something quite special. Wherever you are, happy swimming. <laughs>